What a treat. How fun. Every November, I go to uh, Pierre Marquette State Lodge uh, for the Prairie Group, which is a group of Unitarian Universalist ministers who uh, engage each week in a conversation about a topic. We read in advance books and people write papers about the topic, and each year the topic is interesting and ideas. And the topic this year, we selected last year, was comedians as prophets. So that's why I'm doing the work. I'm thinking, oh, I'll preach on it the following Sunday. And of course, I was gone all week. And then yesterday, or Friday, I had a conference in Milwaukee. I thought, well, I'll just do notes. And I thought, we'll just get rid of the pulpit. And we'll make this little stand-up. I don't know how funny it'll be. <laughs> we'll get to the, there's a meta point we'll get to. We were invited um, to come prepared Monday night by telling a short story, a funny story about our ministry or our lives that we might reflect on later in the week. And uh, Jennifer Nordstrom, who's the minister in Milwaukee, at First Unitarian Milwaukee, and I carpooled down, and it was a sheet of ice Monday night. It took us eight and a half hours to make a five-hour drive. Uh, we went about eight miles an hour for parts of it, and we arrived safe and sound, and we totally missed the sharing of the funny stories. So I'm going to tell you the story that I was going to tell. <laughs> about a year and a half ago, I had been asked uh, by the folks who are leading Alignment Rockford to be the co-chair of the Ready to Learn team. We talked about this work a little bit. And I had, we had talked about who was going to be the school district co-chair. And we had all agreed that the person who really needed to be the person from the school district who did the work was a woman named Heidi Detman. Any of you know Heidi? A few of you. A few of you know Heidi. She's smart, whip smart, and has a fair bit of institutional power. The school district thought this is the right person. She's the chief academic officer. And I had met her a couple of times, but not often. We've been trading emails about the plan for the work, and I was like, oh, amazing mind going on there. And I was at the Raise the Roof party. It was a music, and I think Miles Nielsen and the Rusted Hearts were playing, and there was music happening. And I saw there a woman I thought was Teresa Fillers, who's the Dean of Enrollment for the Early Childhood Program, who I'd been working with on other early childhood programs. And we were chatting, and I said to the person I thought was Teresa, how are you? And she told me how she was a little bit. And it was loud, you know. And how are you? And I'm good, I'm good. And, you know, how's this? What are you, what are you thinking about this new project? said, oh, I'm super excited because I really, one, I think the project's really important. And, uh, and Teresa's about this tall, brown hair, okay? Heidi's about this tall, brown hair. And I said, to, I said to Teresa, I said, I'm super excited to work with Heidi. I think it'll be amazing. She seems really, really smart. I, I don't know her well, but I'm super impressed. And, and I said, oh, you know, you're in different departments, right? Your boss works for Heidi. I said, so do you know Heidi? And, and she said to me, I'm Heidi Detman. <laughs> yeah, we haven't talked about that story since. I don't know that she remembers, but I remember that I thought she was somebody else. And thankfully, I was praising her to her face. <laughs> could have been very bad. The vulnerability that's expressed there is that sometimes I get names wrong. I know about 2,500 names, maybe 3,000 names between people who come to this congregation, my colleagues, other people in the community. And people stop me all the time and say, oh, hi, Matthew. And I say, oh, hi, how are you doing? I don't know your name. 
I know your face. I might know your story. But your name has just whoosh for a second. And as soon as you walk past me, it will, I will be remembering what the name actually is. I don't like that. I wish I remembered every name perfectly every time. But we're not perfect. It's part of what comedy is about, that we're not perfect. And it's important to laugh at ourselves and each other a little bit so that we don't get so stuck in our seriousness that we cannot be human. I, for the conference, one of my t tasks was to write a response to a paper that a uh, minister from Tulsa, Oklahoma, had written about where is the line in comedy? What comedy is appropriate and not appropriate? One of her pieces of advice is that you should not tell jokes too much from the pulpit. So I'm not listening to that piece. But in response to her excellent ways of thinking about what was appropriate, which was about knowing your audience, being respectful, different contexts require different things. I contributed that I thought it was really important that we pay attention to the punch up, punch down rule. And this is this, that a comedian should punch up, but not punch down. It's okay to poke fun at the emperor. It's not okay to make fun of someone with less power than you to perpetuate systems of oppression and stereotypes, right? to, to make fun of the, those who are already on the margins in order to keep them on the margins. Because making fun is powerful. It's very powerful. We had an interesting conversation about how that applies. What if somebody works for the system of power, but they themselves are not that powerful? That's a little tricky. These are not hard and fast rules. We have to be thoughtful. But I think the punch-up, punch-down rule is important. And it's not okay to reify systems of power by mocking those with less in our system. I think that's one thing, one difference between good comedy and bad comedy. I also think punching down isn't very funny. I mean, it's sort of boring in a certain kind of sense, like anybody can do it. Punching up with skill, that really skillful, timely joke that exposes the hierarchy as fiction, that's funny. But making fun of somebody by using a stereotype is just not very funny. It's not very amusing to me. So one difference between good comedy and bad comedy is punching up and punching down. That's related to another difference, which is are you questioning assumptions or are you just supporting authority? Those are connected. Even to question is an answer, says our hymn. That's a kind of Unitarian way. In a certain way, like we like to question things. But I think good comedy of any kind does that. It asks questions. The, the fool, the trickster, the clown, the jester says, what if it isn't that? What if it's something else? And this is the comedian as prophet. A prophet imagines a different future than the one we're on. And the comedian can do that, can say, what if it's completely different? What if the story we're telling isn't the real story? What if the emperor isn't wearing any clothes at all? Right? Isn't that funny? And the, the laugh is sometimes a laugh of a different 
possibility. So is comedy questioning our assumptions? One of my favorite comics is Stephen Wright, sort of very dry wit, who would often make these very strange sort of observations. And I decided I was not going to do a Stephen Wright impression. Uh, I don't think I could do it. But you can look up some of his bits. And there is there this like questioning of our assumptions of why things are the way they are. And it's worthy. Another difference between good comedy and bad comedy we talked about a lot this week was what comedy did with tension. Because it's tension that makes comedy happen. Every year we have an aesthetics night at our study group. You know, there's all these academic papers. We do something fun. And often, I got to tell you, the aesthetics night is no good. It's like, we're going to show a movie. Uh -huh, no. So a lot of us skip it. But sometimes it's pretty good. One night, one year we were doing Pentecostalism and someone had arranged for a small Pentecostal choir to come and sing for us. It was glorious. And we got to talk to them about what the music was for them. It was beautiful. Well, this year, somebody arranged for somebody from the local improv comedy studio to come and do improv with us for two hours. And it was great because he would do one of the little improv games like you've seen on Whose Line Is It Anyway, or something like that. And then he would talk to us about what makes things funny. And he said, one of the things that makes things funny is that there's tension, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds. And then you, because of the tension, you start to wonder, is it going to get resolved? And then good comedy resolves it, that asks a question and answers in an unexpected way. And it, but it resolves the tension, and therefore we laugh because of our sense of relief. So good comedy, we talked about how does comedy work with tension? One of my colleagues told a hilarious story that is completely inappropriate for church, <laughs> which I will not repeat, about tension and how she feels that sense of being in tension. And then drew from that the tension that we feel at this moment in our lives climate change and democracy under threat and inequality, these challenges, plus our own intimate lives, right? We joke a lot about what it's like to have a toddler. If you have a toddler, if you had a toddler, if you met a toddler, we joke about that a lot because it's hard, right? We joke about marriage because marriage is not easy, right? We joke about things that are hard to, to relieve the tension a little bit. But there's two ways that can go. The bad way is when there's tension created by something that is not okay. Someone makes a comment about it, and when you challenge them, they say, oh, it's just a joke. Don't take yourself so seriously. We talked about the way in which the alt-right in particular is doing this. They'll say something outrageous, and when you get offended, you say, that's not okay. They say, can't you take a joke? Why are you so serious? which is a way of saying that the things you care about don't matter. It's a kind of nihilism that says our issues of concern are not important. And that's not okay, because the things we care about do matter. These things are important. And it's not okay to sexually harass someone and say it's just a joke. It's not okay to say something racist and say it's just a joke. Those aren't jokes. One of my favorite lines is a, uh, from a song is from They Might Be Giants is, I can't stand here at your party next to your racist friend. 
who says it's just a joke because it's not funny. Now, I remember in seventh grade, my first year of junior high and around the lunch table and someone made one of those jokes and I said, that's not funny. And the laughter died, but I didn't get invited back to that table. There's a cost when you say that's not funny, right? So there's that kind of relief of tension, which is actually an erasure of the tension that we need to be productive to make change. That's not very funny, but people do it all the time. There's another kind of humor that relieves tension so that we can do the work, right? There's a big difference between those things. There's a, uh, the Indigo Girls are introducing one of their songs and one of their live albums, and they say, if we didn't laugh, our, laugh at ourselves, we'd cry our eyes out. Sometimes a little humor allows us to let go of the tension so we can do the work. It doesn't distract us from the work. It allows us to do the work. And the difference between those two things is really important. A little laughter, then you roll up your sleeves and you get to work. One of the texts we had for our conversation was uh, the comedy special Nanette by Hannah Gadsby. How many of you have seen Nanette? I encourage you to watch it. It's on Netflix. It is powerful about this very question of the comic's role. Is the comic who often comes from a social location where they're uncomfortable or outside of the norm, that's often where the comic comes from because jokes help them literally survive, right? It's how they get the bully not to hit them by telling a joke. And Hannah Gadsby says, I'm done making you feel better about your stereotypes by laughing at myself. I encourage you to watch it. Get a box of Kleenex. It's very powerful. That leads to another piece of the difference between good comedy and bad comedy, which is about vulnerability. Can we be vulnerable and therefore authentic and real? Or is it just sort of fake? And that doesn't feel very funny. Is comedy punish vulnerability? When somebody opens up a little bit, do we make fun of them and teach them to not open up? That's what happens to a lot of junior high boys in particular, junior high girls too, junior high folks of all genders. You open up, people make fun of you, you close up. And we carry that wound often for the rest of our lives. So do you punish vulnerability or do you invite vulnerability through comedy in order us for us to rethink our assumptions? On Friday, we were talking about uh, our sense of how hard it is to challenge privilege and systems of power. Uh, that this workshop I went to in Milwaukee, and one of my colleagues told a little joke about that. She says, well, it's because we need the eggs. And I thought, well, what, what do you mean we need the eggs? Some of you maybe know this joke. So here's the joke. The, a man goes to the psychiatrist and says, I need, I need help with my uncle. My Uncle Henry, he thinks he's a chicken. And the psychiatrist says, he thinks he's a chicken? Yeah, he thinks he's a chicken. Well, how long has this been going on? 10 years, says the man. 10 years, he's thought he's a chicken. I need your help. He says, why didn't you come to me sooner? And the man says, well, because we needed the eggs. <laughs> right? The vulnerability is, why didn't we question our assumptions sooner? because we needed the eggs. 
We wanted the fruits of the system we were benefiting from. So the humor allowed us to have a deeper conversation than we would have if we had stayed at the abstract. We needed the eggs. Teresa Soto says, I want to know if we can be unashamed to look foolish enough to stay alive and together. The systems of power and deadness say, don't be foolish, don't be funny, don't have joy. Just punch the button again and again and again. What does it mean to be foolish enough, to be inhabited by the spirit of the trickster enough to let loose and to get free? To get free. In the end, good comedy is relational. It builds relationship through the sharing of vulnerability. It cares about relationship. Who's in the room? How will they hear what is said? What stories can we share with each other with a little laughter, but not to deny what is real, but to approach it? Good comedy is relational. It is grounded in the spirit of love. It really is. We watched about 15 comedy specials uh, as preparation, which was pretty easy reading, if you will. And the ones that I loved the most were grounded in the spirit of love. People told stories about their friends and their lives, and there was a lightness and a care for the people they were talking about. And the ones I didn't enjoy, it's like they didn't care about the people they were talking about. And that difference between love and not love is everything. If you have not love, you are but a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal, right? In the end, good comedy is deeply human. It notices that we are human beings who are messy and gross and funny and hilarious and loving and harmful and forgiving and rebuilding. It invites us to see things differently. I wonder about the emperor. There's another way to tell that story, right? A completely different way to tell that story. What if the emperor's advisors are so committed to the structures of power and the emperor has begun to question them, to think maybe this whole thing is a charade. Maybe, maybe instead of my child inheriting and their child and their child and their child, maybe we need a, I don't know, a democracy and the people should vote or, or maybe we don't need any rulers at all. Maybe we need to throw this whole thing out. But the advisors and the rulers and the generals, they won't let that happen. And so he has an idea. What if I walk down the street naked, showing my vulnerability and that this is all a charade? And what if they begin to see to not worship me any longer, but to see the human in each other? What if I take off the mask and be myself? I invite you to rise in body or spirit. We're going to sing hymn 34, though I may speak with bravest fire.